0: Good Good to see you all this morning as was mentioned earlier our topic today is spiritual warfare and uh, can be a heavy topic and so I want us to begin uh, by asking the Lord to not just be with us but also speak to us collectively and as individuals this morning about what it is that he wants to do in our lives so let's begin with prayer father we come in this moment so thankful We are so thankful because of your presence that's in this place, and Lord, you're already doing deep work in our heart and mind and souls, and Lord, we ask that you would continue that. As we open up your word, would you speak? Would you speak in powerful ways to each and every one of us? You have the unique ability to meet us right where we are, wherever we are, and so as we come, let this not just be a sermon, Let it be a moment where you speak to us. Would you do that, Lord? Speak. Your servants are listening. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said. You and I are engaged in something right now that we cannot avoid and we cannot run from it. We cannot opt out of it. And what you and I are engaged in right now is a spiritual battle. And that spiritual battle is very real, very real. And sometimes we try to deny that. We try to, you know, rationalize things and all that good stuff. But we are in a battle. And I want you to understand the nature of the essence of this battle that we're in. I've told you before, someone very wise told me one time that the problem with spiritual warfare is that it rarely feels spiritual. Right? That's part of the issue with it. Spiritual warfare rarely feels spiritual. In fact, it it feels personal. And so we talk about it many times in terms of conflict, whether it be personal conflict, conflict with another person or conflict on a major scale. But in, in, in its nature, that's what spiritual warfare is. That's where the spiritual battle is taking place. And we experience conflict because somewhere along the way, someone chooses to not care for another person. We say, I'm not my brother's keeper, I'm not my sister's keeper, right? It goes all the way back to the very beginning. And we experience conflict because we choose not to care, and we choose not to care because we choose not to love one another the way that we're called to love one another. And that love is always an action, it's not just a feeling that we have. But we choose not to love one another because we all have a sin nature. And our sin nature naturally pulls us to that place of being selfish. Whereas salvation always pulls us to a place of servanthood. And so conflict happens in our life. The spiritual battle that we are in, conflict happens because of a lack of care. And we have a lack of care because we choose not to love. And we choose not to love because we have a sin nature that drags us, that pulls us into being selfish. And whenever we're selfish and it's all about us, conflict begins to happen all around us. This is a spiritual battle that we are in. But even though this is a spiritual battle that we're in, that is true, we also do not have or we, we, we do not use the weapons of the world. See a lot of times the weapons of the world we try to handle conflict and talk about conflict, i.e. the spiritual battle that we're in, and there's a lot of good things that are very helpful. But God tells us that he gives us spiritual weapons. That's why in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 he says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Notice that. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And what we're going to see in our passage today, which is going to be Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to pick it up in verse 10 if you want to turn there, is this passage about the armor of God. You've probably heard many sermons or lessons on the armor of God. Uh, what I want you to know is that Paul, this armor that Paul is talking about, he did not just create this. He actually got this from the prophet Isaiah. So you can think Isaiah 59 verse 17 and places like that. He also, the armor is mentioned in other places. Think First Thessalonians 5, 8 and others. And so what he tells us, though, and what Scripture tells us throughout history is that we're all in a spiritual battle. Every generation is in a spiritual battle, but God gives us supernatural weapons within that battle and to fight that battle. But we have to choose them. We have to choose to take them up. We have to choose to use them. That's why Romans 13, verse 12 says, The night is far gone, and the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. We have to choose to use the weapons that God has provided for us. So yes, we are in a spiritual battle. Yes, we have supernatural weapons at our disposal from God, but we have to choose to take those weapons up and then use them, apply them into our life. And it's in that context of what God has been doing throughout human history that brings us to Ephesians chapter 6. I want to pick it up in verse 10. In verses 10 through 13, Paul is going to give us five very important truths about this battle that we're in. So Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, he says, Finally, now he says finally because he's ending his letter. But he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord. Notice the word in. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So the first thing that Paul tells us is that the strength that we need, the strength, is God's strength. It's not ours. The strength that we need to fight the spiritual battle that we are in, it is God's strength. It is not our strength. The truth is the battle is just far too big for us. It's far too big. Now this conflict, this battle that we're in, sometimes it it includes just minor offenses between you and another person. And sometimes it includes major violations or atrocities that happen, like the war in Ukraine, for example. And everywhere in between... Anywhere that there is this conflict, what we have to understand is that there's not small conflict that we can handle on our own. And then we need, you know, as the conflict gets harder, we, we need God to help with those things. No, no. The strength we need for this battle that we're in, whether, again, it's minor interpersonal offenses or it's major things, we need God's strength for that. And that's why Paul starts right here. He says, I want you to be strong, but you're going to have to be strong in the Lord. And then he repeats it and says it again in a different way, and in the strength of his might. It's not your might, it's his. So the first thing that Paul wants us to see is the strength that we need is God's strength. The second thing he says in verse 11, he says, put on the whole armor of God. Notice the word of, of God. The strength we need is God's strength. The armor we need is God's armor. It's not your armor. In fact. Our armor or things that we try to use, the wisdom we try to use to fight the battles that we are in. It is completely insufficient to do so. So we need God's strength and we need God's armor. He goes on, he says, that, here's the reason why you need that strength and that armor, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He says the strength that we need is God's strength. The armor that we need is God's armor because the devil right now is scheming. Right now, all over the planet, the devil is scheming, and the schemes of the devil create ripple effects throughout societies, throughout the world, and those ripple effects crash into us all the time, and the devil's actually pretty good at what he does. So he says, you need strength, the strength of the Lord, you need his armor, because right now, the devil is scheming. And he says I want you to be able to stand against those schemes. He uses the word stand four times in this passage. I'll come back to it in just a moment. But notice what he says in verse 12. He says the strength we need is God's strength, the armor is God's armor, the devil is scheming right now verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. What Paul tells us here is this battle that we're in, it is not a flesh and blood battle. We feel it, and the reason why he's saying this, again, because so many times when we're experiencing a spiritual battle or spiritual warfare, we feel it as personal, don't we? But he's reminding the church and he's reminding us that just remember, even though you feel the conflict on a personal level with people, there is something much deeper that is going on. This is a spiritual battle, not a flesh and blood battle. That's why in conflict, in, you know how it plays out in our life, when something happens or someone offends us in some way or we get upset in some way, notice, we feel something before we do something or say something, right? Something happens in us internally and we feel something and so we act out in some way. And Normally we either act out in aggression, like we lash back out toward them, or we play the victim, right? we just say, everybody's always against me, you know, that kind of thing. But there's an emotional reaction before we physically do or say something. It's because this is a spiritual battle. It is a spiritual battle taking place in your mind and in your heart and in your emotions and in your will. It's taking place in you. And so what Paul calls us to here is to make sure that we understand the strength we need is God's strength. The armor is God's armor. The devil is scheming right now. But this is a spiritual battle, so our mind, our will, and our emotions have to, have to, must be under the Lordship of Jesus Christ at all times. We have to make sure that we're living, not just with our actions, but our mind, our will, and our emotions under the Lordship of Jesus, the one who went to the cross. And while he was on his way to the cross, he he could have called down legions of angels and retaliated, and yet he didn't. He didn't. Scripture says that he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And so all of who we are, including what's going on on the inside of us, has to be submitted to the lordship of Jesus so that we can be who he has called us to be even in the midst of this spiritual battle that we find ourselves in. And what he calls them to then in verse 13 is to take a stand. Notice what he says. He says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may, may be able to withstand, notice the word, withstand, in the evil day, And having done all, to stand firm. Now this is the third time he has mentioned the word stand. He said it earlier, and now he said it twice here. What Paul is saying to the church is the strength you need for the spiritual battle. It's God's strength. You need God's armor. The devil is scheming. But this is not a flesh and blood battle. No, no, no. This is a spiritual battle. And your calling and my calling is to have the resolve to take a stand in this battle. We have to get to that place where we stop letting our spirituality be passive and we take a stand for something. Now, most of the time when we talk about taking a stand for something in life, many times we take stands for things that, in the great big scheme of things, are not going to matter. Or my question is, is when I'm taking a stand for something, my question becomes, does this stand, me taking this stand, this issue, does this matter in eternity? That's really my question. If I'm going to take a stand, I want to take a stand for things that matter in heaven so that I can be a part of living the Lord's Prayer, right, from heaven to earth. That's what I want to take a stand on. And I think that's where, where we have to ask ourselves, whenever it comes time we feel like we need to take a stand, we need to ask ourselves, does this really matter in heaven? Now, the things that Paul is about to tell us matter in heaven greatly. But two things are very important to us. Number one is, what do we take a stand for? And number two is, who do we stand with? Those two questions matter immensely in life. Because there's a lot of different things that you can take a stand for. There's a lot of different things or people that you can stand with. But what you stand for and who you stand with matters so much in life. And notice the progression of Ephesians, too. and Paul starts this off in Ephesians chapter 1, and we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, seated. And, and then he starts calling us to walk, right? Namely, chapter 5, where he wants us to walk in the love of Christ. He wants us to be Christ to the world around us as we're imitating God, right? Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And now, in chapter 6, he's calling the church to take a stand. Sit, walk, stand. you see the progression? What Paul is doing here is he's teaching the church in Ephesus, and therefore he's teaching us, how to live out Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, David says, but are like chaff. And the wind drives them away, just blown around, just blown around. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And what Paul is doing here for the church in Ephesus is he's teaching them how to live that psalm so that we can be like trees planted by streams of water bearing fruit in our life in the midst of the battle that we're in. I think that's why he's using that image. And now the call is to take a stand. Again... What you stand for and who you stand with matters. If you look at the next verse, in verse 14, this is where he starts. He says, stand therefore, stand therefore. He says, I'm going to tell you what we stand for as followers of Jesus. And then he gives us this image of the armor of God. Let me say something about the armor of God. I like to keep things pretty simple. You probably heard thousands of Sunday school lessons on this. Here's the one thing I want you to know about the armor of God. When the battle uh, was going to take place in the first century, the army would go out and they would stand, right? And their armor, the color of it, the style of it, all of that, the armor communicated to their opponents their identity, who they were. If it was Rome, it was probably red. And there were certain things on their shields, there were certain ways... Uh, things on their helmets, on their breastplates, and things like that, that communicated to their opponent exactly who they were and who they represented. As they stood on that battlefield, they represented Rome. Now, the armor was not meant to blend in like today's military armor, right? It was meant to stand out. And so as you're reading through, as we're reading through the armor here, realize that these things that he is listing is meant for us to take a stand in the world and for people to really know where we stand, what we stand for, who we stand with. So let's pick it up. He says in verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. The first thing he says is the belt of truth. Notice we're to fasten it. We believe in truth. We stand for the truth. We believe not just in uh, not our truth, what we think is true. We believe that God uh, has given us truth. The second thing he says, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, we believe in righteousness. He says, take a stand for righteousness. We believe that we can be in a right relationship with God and we believe that we can live out of that right relationship with God. The third thing he mentions, verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We believe in a gospel of peace, that God can be at, and man can be at peace with God and man can be at peace with other man, right? Same thing with woman. That was not leaving y'all out, sorry. Humankind can be at peace with each other, right? We believe in that, we stand for that. The next one he says, and take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. We believe in, we believe in faith. There's one for you. We believe that, we know that we can believe and trust in what God has revealed to us at the same time we can trust even when God has not revealed something to us. That is faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. So what he has made known to us, we believe it. We want to live it. And what he has not made known to us, what he has not revealed to us, maybe about the future or circumstances or whatever it may be, we trust him with those things. We believe in that. Paul says, take a stand for that. Not only that, the next one is the helmet of salvation. He says, take the helmet of salvation. We believe in salvation. We believe that salvation is found only in one place, and that is through Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. And then he says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Paul is saying, take a stand for the word of God. And that's what he's calling the church here to do. He says, I want you to take a stand for truth. I want you to take a stand for righteousness. I want you to take a stand for the gospel of peace. I want you to take a stand for faith. I want you to take a stand for salvation. I want you to take a stand for God's word. And again, the images that he gives us here, he uses these images of armor. Come back to that in a moment. But right here, Paul is telling the church, this is what we stand on. This is what we stand for as the people of God. Now the question is, who do we stand with? He tells us in verse 18. Because in verse 18 he tells them to pray, to pray in all circumstances, in all places, pray at all times in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. What we're taking a stand for is the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's what we stand for, who we stand with is the Holy Spirit of God that lives in us. Because we can't stand for these things alone. We need a power that's greater than ourselves, right? We need God's strength. We, these are, this is God's armor. And it's the Holy Spirit that we stand with in this battle that we're all in. Now, you say, Chris, that sounds really good. I thought it did anyway. How do you do that? How does that work? Notice in verse 18, he says, praying at all times in the Spirit. And then just a few verses later, he calls the church to pray for him that he would have boldness, right? In preaching the Word, that he would say what what God would want him to say. The how here is that we take a stand by bowing our knee in prayer. That's how we do it. And you say, well, what is Paul praying for here? He's already told us what he's praying for. What Paul is praying for, the armor, he's praying that the armor would be applied to our life. It's exactly what he's praying for for the church. He's praying that truth would be applied to our life. He's praying that righteousness would be applied to our life. He's praying that the gospel of peace would be applied to our life. He's praying that faith would be applied, salvation applied, that the Word of God would be applied to our life. That's what he's praying for here, and he's modeling for us how to pray in the spiritual battle. The spiritual battle we're in, I don't want to offend anybody, but I just need to say, the spiritual battle that we are in right now, it's so big, it's so hard, it's so complex, that short sentence prayers are not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. And that's part of what Paul is telling the church here. It, short sentence prayers are not going to cut it. And this is where we struggle with prayer a lot of times. And we, we, we wrestle in our minds about prayer because we like, well, well I told God what, what I need. I told God about the conflict, right? And then we kind of have this posture of, why do I have to tell Him again? Right? You know, well, uh, God heard me the first time. Surely He heard me and He loves me, so He's going to do something about this. Why do I have to keep going back? You ever been there? When we're saying things like that, it's because we've lost the understanding of the nature of prayer. You see, sometimes we reduce prayer to a help ticket. Have you ever worked at a place where if you need something done, you got to send in a help desk ticket, then the maintenance crew comes around and fixes it, right? Or or my, my, my favorite image is, So many times we reduce prayer to giving an order because we think God is our waiter. (laughs) You know you do. You can act holy all you want to. What do we do when we go to a restaurant? They take us in. They sit us down, right? And then then what do we give the waiter or waitress? Our order. I'm ordering. Not requesting. I'm ordering because I'm about to pay for it. Right? So I'm giving my order, and once I give my order, you know, they write it down, or if they're really good, they just remember it, right? And once I give my order, what do I want to happen then? I want them to go place that order with the kitchen, but I want that food back as quickly as possible. And it better be hot and medium rare. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes. But that's what we do, right? We sit down, we give an order. We want it delivered as quickly as possible. And so many times, this is how we think about prayer. God, I gave you my order. God, you're so smart, you don't even have to write it down. Right? Why haven't you done anything? We've missed the purpose of prayer in that moment. We've misrepresented who God is and how this relationship works. What Paul is doing here is so much deeper than that. You see, most of the time when we're in a spiritual battle, we want to pray the enemy away. We put our order in and say, God, take care of them. God, fix them. God, fix that. Paul is not teaching the church how to pray the enemy away. Paul is teaching the church how to pray the armor on. Those are two different things. He's teaching the church. How to, notice, whenever we read the armor of God, we either focus on the, um, the armor side of it or the virtue side of it. So we either focus on the belt, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, the sword. Or we focus on truth, righteousness, gospel, peace, faith, salvation, and the word. Or sort of the spirit, right? But notice what he says has to be done. What he says has to be done is the belt of truth has to be fastened on. You do that. I do that. I have to fasten it on. Notice what he says about the breastplate of righteousness. He says, put it on. Put it on. The gospel of peace, put on the readiness given. The shield of faith, take up the helmet of salvation. Take it. The sword of the Spirit, take it. What Paul is saying here, he's, he's not teaching them just to pray. So many times when we're in a spiritual battle, we, do, we just want God to fix them, God to fix those people, God to fix the issue at work or church or wherever it is, and we pray out there. And what Paul is saying is, no, you've got to learn how to pray the armor on. Your job is to fasten the belt. Your job is to put on the breastplate. Your job is to put on the gospel of peace. Your job is to take up the shield of faith, to take the helmet of salvation, to take the sword of the Spirit. You have to take that. No one can take that for you. And so we sit around and we, we pray about these things. God, fix them, fix that, do this, do that. We sit around giving God our orders and we wonder why he's not answering when he's saying, you know what? I hear you. I hear you. But, but I really want to do something in you through this. I hear you. You see, what happens, though, is we, we, don't, we don't want to deal with the battle, either the one that's going on within us or the one that's happening beyond us. And so we just want God to fix it. And Paul says, you've got to learn how to pray the armor on you got to learn how to apply this to your life. That's why all the language here, yes, it's God's strength. Yes, it's God's armor. But the devil is scheming right now. He's scheming in your life. And so you've got to do some things. You've got to fasten, put on, put on, take up, take it, take it. That's what he says over and over. So many times we just rather try to Pray the enemy away. And God says, Listen, if you're going to be a part of my kingdom, you're going to be a part of my army. There are no civilians in the kingdom. So many times we just say, Well, I just want, God, can you just kind of let me in? Let me be a part of the family. And I'll let everybody else go to the front lines. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. Not in the kingdom. And so the question I want to leave you with is this. What if maybe right now you are losing some spiritual battles in your life? Maybe you're losing the battle in your mind or the battle in your heart or your emotions, the battle of your will. You're losing to these conflicts that are happening around you. What if you're losing spiritual battles in your life and it's not God's fault Because he has not removed the enemy. What if you're losing spiritual battles in your life and it's not somebody else's fault? Because they are the enemy. What if it's not a flesh and blood battle? What if it's something much deeper? And what if you're losing the spiritual battles in your life because you have neglected your armor that he's already given you? Paul is praying that the armor would be applied, that truth would be applied, that we would not live in lies and deception. He's praying that righteousness would be applied, that we would not live in self-indulgence. He's praying that the gospel of peace would be applied, that we would not walk around vilifying other people and in constant conflict and war with other people. He's praying that faith would be applied, not the darts of of doubt. He's praying that salvation will be applied, not this constant state of hopelessness that we can live in. He's praying that the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, would be applied, not just our subjective reasoning. And what if you're losing because you've forgotten how to wake up in the morning and dress yourself? That's what grown people do, don't they? At some point, you've got to stop letting your mom dress you. <laughs> At some point, it just gets really weird. Same is true for us spiritually. At some point, you've got to learn how to wake up in the morning and put on your armor. And what if you're losing? Not because God's not answering your prayer the way you want to. Not because somebody else is to blame, but simply because you have not put on your armor. You've neglected it. I want to pray that we put this back on. Especially right now, if you're losing, if you're, if you're just getting beat up internally or externally in conflict around you, I want to pray that you would put on the armor and you would maybe calm down on praying those prayers of wanting God to magically zap someone like Zeus but instead apply the armor to your life. I want to pray that. And then we're going to go into Holy Communion. Let's pray. Father, right now we come and we admit that for some of us, we're just losing battle after battle. The battle in our mind, our will, our emotions. We try to hold it all together and give everybody a tainted view of who we really are, but we're losing the battle. And so, Lord, I pray if that's truly where we find ourselves today, that we would put on, fasten the belt of truth that holds all things together, that we would not believe the lies and the deceptions that are around us, that we would walk in that truth. God, I pray that we would put on the breastplate of righteousness. Lord, that we would be right with you, but that we would live that out in our lives to those around us, that we would not just live in a place of selfishness and self-indulgence. Lord, I pray that we would put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. Lord, may we be peacemakers to those around us, and may that peace reside in us. Lord, I pray that we would take up the shield of faith. Lord, as all the doubts that the devil can throw at us fly our way, I pray, Lord, they would be struck down because we believe in what you have revealed. And Lord, what we don't understand, we trust you with. Lord, I pray that we would take up the helmet of salvation, that we would walk in the salvation that is offered to us that we would live out and live in that salvation here and now, and not just to try to survive life till one day when we experience it. May we walk in it. May our mind be saturated, and may we have the mind of Christ. Lord, I pray that the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, would be applied to our life. I pray that we would live with our lives under its authority, that nothing else would reign supreme, that gets to tell me how to live other than what you have spoken and revealed by your Spirit. And Lord, I pray for us that we would truly wake up each morning and not forget how to dress ourselves and then wonder why we're losing. May we put on your armor, the whole armor, and may we walk in it Not only that we may know you, but that others may see and come to know you. Let it be so. Let it be so.